Hello, good morning, church family. Everybody doing okay out there? You guys ready to go? Today is going to hurt a little bit. <clears throat> I came to church to feel good. <laughs> it ain't the day. <laughs> this is not the day. We're going to wrap up. We have two parts to what we're going to do today. We're going to wrap up the series, um, the story, the narrative, as we're learning about Joseph. And we're going to learn about how he, uh, how, it, how the story, the narrative ended for him and some of the decisions and things that he made. <clears throat> the second part is basically going to be a huge next step on how we then apply that to our lives. Okay, if you're ready, say let's go. Let's go. Okay, today is going to hurt just a little bit. Um, forgiveness is tricky. Would you agree? Forgiveness is tricky. We think about forgiveness in a variety of different ways. We even know that, uh, that our Savior Jesus had talked about forgiveness um, at some level, right, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and uh, forgive us of our sins as we forgive Others. I kind of mixed up the NIV and the King James a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. Forgive me as I forgive others. So, so Father, treat me the way that I treat other people. Shoot. That right there, okay? Maybe we should just do communion right there and move and go home. Because if I should have the boldness to, and the humility really, to say, God, treat me as I treat others, uh, that's not a prayer I care to do a whole lot. Because I can't say it's easy or consistent for me to treat others the way that I expect my Heavenly Father to treat me, especially when it comes to this idea of forgiveness, right? Because, because he forgave me, so grateful you forgave me of all the things that I did, but God, you don't know what they did, but God, you don't understand. And so we're going to talk about that today and how tricky forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is tricky. It's not a cut and dry, easy black and white type of thing. It's just not. There's a, there's a journey that associates oftentimes. Sometimes it can go faster than others. Sometimes you'll wake up every single day for years having to remind yourself, oh, I forgave that. Because it'll come back in a flood of memories and shame of all the things that you remember that it happened to you. Forgiveness is tricky. We're gonna see how Joseph navigated this towards the end because I don't think it was a very simple, easy kind of, oh, you know what, that's been so long ago 
and we're going to see how Joseph handled it together. We're going to be jumping into Genesis chapter 45 together. Genesis 45, you open your Bibles, turn on your phones, mobile device, don't call anybody, and, uh, and, and go to Genesis chapter 45. Maybe you have your iPad, and we're going to jump into the very beginning here in just a moment. I just want to make sure that we understand the story that we've been talking about all month long. I think it's important for us to do these moments of review so that we're like, okay, I remember that because I've been studying this for uh, uh, two months. Um, you probably, uh, with me, uh, along the, at this present time, have been studying it just a couple weeks and maybe even just a day at a time. So let's look over this one more time to see where this story is. So far, we know that Joseph's dad, Jacob, created a division within the family. Ah, that's my favorite right there. Gave him a beautiful coat that was kind of like a, a symbol of status, uh, like a tuxedo, if you will, a really nice thing. And then along with uh, Jacob's behavior and Joseph's uh, cocky attitude, his brothers hated him more and more and more to the point to where they wanted to just get rid of this guy. And so instead of killing him, they decided that they were going to sell him into slavery. So about 16, 17 years old, Joseph is sold into slavery and he stays there for a very long time. Remembering things, processing what's going on, where his brothers were, some of the things maybe he said. I wonder if at any time while he was in slavery and in captivity and in jail, maybe he thought, huh, maybe I shouldn't have told him about that dream. You know, maybe I should have kept that one to myself. Lord, you gave me the dream, but I don't understand, you know. Um, and so he was thinking through what was going on, perhaps. And there comes a point in time where he's in jail. And there's a lot of detail here I'm not going to touch on today. You should, in your private time, quiet time at home, as you're just, you know, just worshiping God in the, in the quiet moments of your morning or in the afternoon, the evening, read through the story of Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. This narrative is wonderful. At some point in time, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream, and he's like, hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's my guy. And then from a slave into the second in command of all of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and there was Joseph, the governor. He was in charge of everything. He was brought out of this life of, of being a prisoner, being a slave, and now he's running the show. And if you remember, there was, a, there, was, there was a dream that he had had where he said there was going to be so many years of, uh, of plenty, right? There's so much good's going to happen, and then there's going to be a famine. We are just about to get into the moment of the famine. Because at this point, Joseph's in charge, and he's actually stockpiling all the grain. He's saying, okay, so we've got more and more and more and more and more cases. So what we're going to do is we're going to stockpile it and stockpile it because the bad days are coming. And this is a good lesson for all of us. There's, there's moments in our lives, and sometimes it's all different for us, that there's bad days that come. And you need to be wise in stockpiling things uh, other than toilet paper. And things that are of I mean, that's, that's some value in that for sure. But um, you you need to, you need to be wise financially. You need to make choices relationally that can you know you, that you can pull things together so that when the stuff hits the fan, you are prepared. And forgiveness is a lot like that too. 
where you begin to pull together and make choices relationally, where you begin to work on yourself emotionally and mentally and spiritually so that when the stuff comes and you, you are not so blindsided by it, now all of a sudden you've got to learn how to forgive. There's work in the plenty to prepare for your famine. There's work to be done when everything's good because there will be a day you are going to run into a situation that's going to be like that. And you're going to have to be ready for it. You can't be ready for it on the first day of the famine. If Joseph would have started preparing for the famine at the beginning of the famine, they would have never survived. They would have never been able to take care of the people they needed to take care of. Now, of course, clearly this is God's will that he worked all these details out. So Joseph did plan ahead of time. Consider this. The last time you went through a difficult situation and you, you struggled far more than you thought you should have. I'm not telling you what level of struggle you should have, but maybe, just maybe, there was some preparatory work, some prep beforehand that could have been done. Just talking to God before the famine, learning his heart before the famine, going through the process of saying no to good things because you're saying good yes to the right things. Preparatory work, that preparation is huge. And so we get to a situation where we're just about ready to go over into the famine and now we're actually there. People are starting to, now Joseph had, had put together kind of a store, if you will, and he opened everything up and the people in, in Egypt were able to come and get the things that they needed. But then the surrounding countries also found out that, oh my gosh, they have food. Okay, so we should go there and we should buy some from them. And over a period of time, I mean, people were giving cattle and they were giving their land. They were doing everything to survive. And Joseph, because of his prep work, was able to provide for people, and they were able to kind of barter those things. Well, here we are, just over about, the numbers are all over the place, to be honest with you, but I'm going to say anywhere from 20 to 22 years after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Okay, so pause. I want you to think about somebody that you know from your past or your present right now that if you saw them walk in the door, you'd have that pit in your stomach and you'd wanna go out that door. So I want you to picture that individual. I want you to picture that situation. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be overwhelmed too much here, but I, I did warn you, uh, today is gonna to be a little bit heavier. So I want you to think about if that person walked in that door right now, that would make you want to go out that door. Joseph experienced that. He's just going through whatever. In fact, he had gotten himself in such a place, he was honoring God, he was doing the things that he was supposed to be doing, and God was working in him and through him. And all of a sudden, if you picture this, right? So I'm just, yeah, I'm helping these people, I'm helping these people, I'm keeping track of everything, and bam! There's my brother's. Can you feel that? Man, that's heavy. Because everything that was just free flowing, like everything's going smooth, everything's awesome. Joseph is <clears throat> the top of his game, and bam, I did not see that coming.
Well, there's a lot of detail that goes on here. <clears throat> they come in, they have a conversation. They did not recognize Joseph, but Joseph immediately recognized them. And he refused to like say anything just yet. I could so see myself in this situation. I could so see myself in a situation where, in fact, it says that he spoke harshly to them as though he was a stranger, <clears throat> as though they were strangers. And he even started, hey, are you spies? No, no, we're not spies. We just want food. Now, I think you're spies. I mean, just, you could just, if you read the narrative, you can see like he was... There was something going on inside of Joseph. I do not think it was a beautiful cookie cutter, like, this is, all, this is what you do. Something was going on inside of Joseph, and he demanded, he just demanded some stuff of these guys. Anyway, let's fast forward to the next time they interact. Okay, read this. Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. Fascinating. Lots to learn. They come to a point where we are right now, Genesis 45, where Joseph is interacting with his brothers uh, for another time. And we can see kind of like how he works out these details. So again, <clears throat> excuse me, about 20 to 22 years have passed. I don't know if you have a timeline on your grieving. People would often say, that was 20 years ago, man. Get over it. Um, 20, 22 years later, and then he's confronted with his brothers. Joseph is standing in a room and he simply can't take it any longer. Whatever's going on inside of him, he's ready to explode with, with all that's going inside of him. Do you feel this? You imagine being in a room with somebody that didn't recognize you, but you recognize them from someone 20, 20, 20, 22 years ago, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. Do I hug them? Do I strangle them? I'm not sure. Kind of both. And so Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in this room where they were, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Part of me, when I read this, I'm going, oh, man, what's he going to do? right? Second in command of all of Egypt, he could just wipe them out and just kind of forget about it, right? Because they deserve whatever they get. Isn't that the way we talk? Isn't that the way we talk? Let's just be real, people. Let's just be for real. And so he's, he's about to tell them. Then, okay, so check this out. He's got so much going on inside of them. Thanks, Carl. It was Michelle. It was Michelle, <laughs> his wife. So listen, he just keeps doing that. <clears throat> So then, here's, here's why we know that he had so much going on inside of him. Because he just, he had to, he probably jumped to anger, I would imagine, based on the way that we understand the human mind and body works, is that he probably jumped into anger, probably going through the grieving process. He was probably hit face first, like it, as if he was sold into slavery that moment. All those feelings come back to him. He just can't take it any longer, and he breaks down. Then he broke down and wept. This grown man, possibly, you know, uh, in his mid to late 30s, and he's just sobbing. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him, and, the, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. Like, he's just tormented by this. So it continues. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. 
Is my father still alive? Feel that for a moment. So his brothers robbed him of 20, let's just say 20 years, 20 years of life with his father, who he loved so much. Certainly, Jacob did not make it easy on the brothers to like everybody to get along. But there was, some, there was something special that Joseph truly just loved his dad. And so he says, listen, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. Could you imagine? <laughs> this is one of those moments in my humanity. I'm going, this is so good. This is an awkward moment. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Right? That moment of, he's going to kill us. Right? All those reasons of, it was his fault. Right? We didn't want to. Okay, we did. Okay, my bad. Right? All these things probably going through his head, and, and it says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Right? I just want, I just want to make sure you understand who's talking to you right now. I'm Joseph, the one that you sold into slavery in Egypt. This next line is crazy to me. This is just out of control, uh, you know, God-fearing stuff that I'm going, why do you care, Joseph? He says, but don't be upset. <laughs> what? Okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm the one, I'm Joseph, you know, the one you sold into slavery, you were thinking about killing, and you lied to my dad, and then you kind of stole my coat, and then you ripped it, really nice coat, and you ripped it. But I just want you to know, listen, don't be upset. Oh, and, and brothers, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. Even though Joseph, right, I get it. Joseph is super prospering right now. But trauma does not understand that. When you're hit with triggers in your life from your past, it doesn't even matter. Because all those feelings take you right back to that moment when it happened. Everything you felt before and even harsher at times where your brain's trying to process all this and God is doing something here. This is not Joseph. He is not an innocent victim, but God was working in him somehow, some way through maturity of 20 years, possibly in captivity or slavery for about 14 or 13 of those years. But don't be upset. So picture that person right now again that we talked about moments ago. They come in and you say, hi, I'm so-and-so. You know the one that you, listen, don't be upset and don't be angry with what you did. It gets a little uncomfortable in here, isn't it? Don't be upset. The, story, the narrative continues here. You see, listen, I don't want you to be upset about what you did. Because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Listen, don't, don't be upset. Don't be angry with what you did because our battle is not with flesh and blood anyway. It, what, it, you, you, yes, you did it, but God did it. So I'm just going to fix my eyes on 
Jesus, right? The author and perfecter of my faith. And so here we have this, it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, right? So you got seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And all the prep work was done during the first seven years. And now the second seven years is living out and growing in what you've already prepared. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. This says that Joseph had a vision bigger than his pain. He had a vision that said, I am here for a very specific reason, and it is to take care of everybody that comes, even you. I am here to take care, and he made it personal. I'm actually here, God sent me here so that I could take care of you. So that I could take care of you. Go, go back one, um, one more slide there. Thank you. So that he could preserve many survivors. You see, God had a plan and he worked through Joseph to accomplish that plan. Okay, go, go forward again. Thanks, Dan. So it was God who sent me here, not you. I just wanna make it clear. What you intended for evil, what you intended to harm me, God said, that's part of the plan. Which means sometimes in our lives, our pain, wait for this, is part of the plan. Our pain, our suffering matures us if we seek God through it all in a way that God says, hey, I'm refining you. And we know about this because we hear through scripture that when they're refining or when they're trying to take away the old stuff to make it purified, they put it in fire. Have you ever put your hand in fire? Is it soothing? Like you're in the fire. No, it hurts. And so there, are, there is pain associated with the plan. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It's possible we're hurting because God so desperately cares. He's trying to get you to a better place. Likewise, just because you're prospering doesn't mean that God is moving in your life. Many, many pharaohs across the land of Egypt prospered, and they were, uh, they were uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not. They had no, no care in the world of the Hebrew God. They focused on all kinds of other things. But yet they prospered. Forgiveness is tricky, isn't it? The manager, okay, so let's see here. And he is one of the, and he, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. All right, next slide. But now, 
that their father was, okay, so we're going to stop there for just a minute. All right, so here's what we got going on. We've got the situation where the brothers are now standing with Joseph, and Joseph is walking through this moment of forgiveness. Listen, don't be mad at yourselves. It wasn't you that actually did it. It was God that worked through the whole situation because this is where I'm supposed to be. Joseph sees that God was working in and through him all along. He's aware. Think about that situation with that person. I can't, I can't, I, forgiveness is tricky. I can't guarantee that you grew or that something great, a positive came out of that situation. But once you think about that person that walk in that door, you want to walk out that door, that whole situation, um, maybe it's a year past, maybe it's two years past, maybe it's 10 years past, whatever, maybe it's a long time past, uh, maybe it was yesterday. So maybe you don't know what the lesson is just yet, but did something come out of it that maybe just made you better, stronger, smarter, healthier? I don't know. But in many cases, when we go through stuff, we look back and we go, wow. I know hindsight's always 20-20, but consider this. You can look back over your life and go, wow, God really was working. God was really working. And you begin to see when you truly believe that God is in control of all things, you begin to see him working through all things. And so as the story goes, they got the food they needed, but Joseph said, listen, just come here and, and live with me. Go and get, get, get my father and uh, just come back here, bring all stuff, and you're going to live here with me. And they did. They lived there, and, and Jacob lived out his days. He didn't want to be buried there. Uh, in fact, he asked for, for them not to bury them here, but to bury him in the land of his ancestors. But they lived, and they were okay in Egypt for the time. So now, but now their father was dead. Jacob passed away, and Joseph's brothers become afraid. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just is way we are. Our battle is not with flesh and blood and fear sneaks in yet again. So they're living in Egypt. Joseph has done nothing that we're aware of that to make his brothers be afraid that he has been providing. He has given them shelter. He has given them food. He has taken care of them. And now that dad's dead, they say, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. They don't understand that when God gets into the heart of someone, that something brand new occurs and that he truly is moving forward. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit. So, so they say, um, so they sent this message to Joseph. Hey, uh, Joseph, before, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers uh, for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Now when Joseph received the message, he broke down and he wept. Maybe this was the first time that he ever actually was a moment of real, authentic, please forgive us. Before it was like, don't kill us. But now there's a moment of we acknowledge what we had done. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Okay, this is where 
we start transitioning a bit into understanding more about forgiveness. We believers need to understand our role in the family. There is a heavenly father, there is an ultimate God, there is a creator, there is the Trinity, and you are not it. Neither am I. We are a part of the family, we are not ahead of the family. We are a part of the family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Joseph knows his place. We need to know our place. Am I God? Listen, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. This is over 20 years separated from the initial offense that took him into slavery. You follow me? 20 years. And so as he's processing all this over the years, he grew up a little bit and matured, and he understands his role in the family of God. Am I God? No. Can I punish you? No, because if he would have done it, it would have totally been out of revenge. It would have been out of, most likely, it would have been out of spirit of sheer revenge. Long after Joseph died, Jesus arrives on the scene with a vision of God's justice. Listen to this. Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Why should you get credit for being nice to people that are nice to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Luke chapter 6 and verse 33. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. What if you lend, uh, and if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. He says, this is something we've been trying to figure out and we don't know how to do it really well, so we just default back to just not liking people. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. So it's almost like you that you give less restrictions, maybe not less, but when you give to your friends, you know, we expect it back from them, but if we say, hey, it's not a big deal, we feel like it's all good, a mutual relationship. Jesus says, if you give to somebody, you give to your enemy, don't even, don't expect it back. Just give. You know, that person that walked in the door that made your heart sink and your gut and you ran out that door? Lend to them. Now, I'm not saying being ignorant, right? We're not saying being ignorant, um, irresponsible. Saying lend to them and don't expect it back. They don't deserve that. Yeah, neither do we. <laughs> neither do we. And yet I still get God's grace and mercy on a daily basis. We need to know our place. Am I God? No, I'm not. 
to, to be able to punish you. Nope. That you, what you thought, what you tried to do was bad. God put me here for a specific reason. I know my place. I know my role. I know where I'm supposed to be. So Jesus continues. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he, show, he, he, he gave us the example of this. While we were still enemies with God, he says, I'm going to make a way for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Over and over and over again, we see where Jesus acted this out. And likewise, we're supposed to play it out too. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Jesus' answer to being wronged is the reminder to love your enemies. Instead of hating them, pray for them. Instead of taking revenge, pray for them. Prayer is powerful. That's why Jesus even said, listen, pray, pray like this. That's why the, the Holy Spirit needs to intercede because we don't know how to pray oftentimes. But just go to the Father in prayer. Let him deal with it. It's a healing act of you as well because when you say, God, you handle it, then you let it go. You move on. Well, God's got it. I don't need to take it. But when you give it to God, you ready for this? When you give it to God, I'm going to give this to you, God. Be careful not to go and get it back. You imagine, you know, giving your family gifts on Christmas or something like that, and come February, you're like, well, I'm taking it back. Here we go. Yep, you're going to need to put that back in the box and give it to me, and I'm going to take that back. No, it's not, I just alone. It was alone. No, you get to play with that for a little bit. And so think about this. Think about this. Imagine you give it to God and you let it go. And he says, listen, cast your burdens on me. And so I'm going to give this to you. And then you go and get it back. But what you're getting back is not a good thing. It's a hurtful thing. Why would you go back and get something that's going to hurt you? Uh, probably has something to do with pride, control. God's not acting fast enough. Well, you're not doing what, you, what I think you should be doing. Let me handle it. Let me handle it. I can bear the burden of the weight of it all. Okay. Here you go. And then we take it on. It, it pulls us down again. And we say, God, I was my bad. <laughs> you take that back. We got to constantly be giving it to God over and over again. So be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. The first time you're compassionate to your enemy is going to be really, really, absolutely so hard. You may not do it. May not do it. But the, after you get past the initial, and then you go to the second one, guess what? It's still hard. Yeah, it's still super hard. And then you do it again, and it's still hard. And then you do it again. And so there's this act of obedience. But there does come a time where you begin to train your spirit, train your mind, where you begin to do it faster. may still be hard, but you do it a little bit faster and a little bit faster. So what is this idea of restorative justice. It's not justice that punishes out of revenge. It's justice that seeks to restore what is broken. God's justice chooses to restore what is broken. God's justice is not punishment. It's not punishment. That's natural consequences. God's justice is not revenge. That's the idea of getting even. You don't want to be even with your enemy because then you are no better than they are. We as believers are called to be, to, to live a life that is set apart 
And so our behavior should be different. It should be better. And you don't want to sink to someone's level. Revenge is nothing but getting even or a trend. Trend. Does anybody ever hear that word trend and just kind of go, ugh? Right? Because everybody's following a trend. Everybody's following a trend. You see it in, in church world. You see it in organizations. Hey, they're doing it. We should do it. Right? You're just going to jump on the bandwagon. I can't tell you how many Los Angeles Rams fans there will be next year. Oh, I've been loving them forever. Oh, you haven't. You've been losing in Cleveland with me for years. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Because we want this trend. To me, trends can be nothing but culturally driven. You see what's going on and then you just run with it. That is not justice. Just because people are, are, are protesting and doing things and then you jump on board because everybody else is doing it, doesn't, that doesn't make it God's justice. So what is restorative justice? If God's justice is to restore, then it has to be about repentance. Justice calls the people who have done harm to change their ways, but it also gives them an opportunity to do so. Repentance is this call for people and an opportunity. Reconciliation, God's justice restores, and it's about reconciliation, making what is wrong right. Sometimes reconciliation is not always possible. Sometimes the person has passed away. Sometimes it's a harmful situation, physically and mentally and emotionally, and you can't reconcile, but you can forgive and you can be healed and be restored. God's justice is about restoration, this idea of repairing what was broken. Even when a relationship can't be reconciled, justice always seeks to heal people. Always seeks to heal people. You see, the gospel of Jesus is justice in action because God invites us to repentance. This is where we're gonna turn it up just a little bit more. Listen to this, okay? Listen to this. This is where the pressure is gonna be turned up just a little bit more. God invites us, you and me, into repentance. Before we can even deal with that person that walked in the door that makes you wanna run out that door, let's just focus right here. You and I are called to repentance. Jesus reconciles us to God through that repentance. We are so loved by our creator that instead of holding a grudge against us, Jesus lived, died, and rose again so that we could be in a right relationship with the Father. That's what God's justice for all is all about. He invites us to repentance. And he invites us to be restored. God gives us restoration. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus offers us a new life, not just in eternity, but here and now. Jesus came to restore everything that was broken. We were broken from the Garden of Eden, and God desires for us to be restored. His justice is that you make the wrong things right. The big idea for today, simple idea, God's justice 
restores what is broken. So we're gonna sit on that for just a moment. Somebody here today might, might not have ever actually asked Jesus for that forgiveness. He made a way, but you've been trying to walk your own way. And I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to choose to follow what Jesus is doing, to choose to follow him as your savior, okay? So let's take a moment here. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Just focus on where you are right now. And so if you would say, man, I need Jesus in my life. Would you symbolize that by simply raising your hand? So for those of you that would say, I need Jesus in my life, you're saying, um, you know, he's not there yet. And so here's what I want you to do. Everybody put your hands down. I want you just to, in your heart, pray these words. Dear God, I choose to follow Jesus. I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for this salvation. Guide me as I walk my new journey of new life. In Jesus' name, amen. God's justice restores what is broken. For those of us who are believers, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to remember the healing that he has given us. For those of you that are choosing to follow Jesus for the first time today, that's exciting because your journey begins today. Let us know so that we can empower you and pray for you and encourage you along the way and give you your next steps of this process. What we do here as a church family is that we remember. We gotta keep remembering. We gotta keep going back to the, to the focus of our first love as our savior, the one who rescued us, we gotta be reminded of those things because we oftentimes forget. So the only re requirement for taking communion is that you truly are following Jesus. You're choosing that. If you're just choosing it today, great. Here we go, we're gonna do this together. Jesus told his disciples, hey, do this often and be reminded of what I have done or I am going to do for you. If you do not have one of these, uh, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. And he said, take this bread. Take this bread as a representation of my body that is broken. So when you do this common thing, I want you to remember this extraordinary thing that I'm about to do. And so we remember him through that. And then he said, he picked up a cup, a different cup than what he was using before. And he picked it up and he set it apart. And he said, when you take this and you drink this, remember that this represents my blood that was poured out for you, which was super symbolic in this idea of salvation and atonement for sins. And so as we drink this juice, we are reminded that Jesus gave all for us. 
God's justice restores what is broken. We cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves. And so receiving the forgiveness of God is incredible. It's incredible. Here's how we pay it forward. Romans chapter 12. Uh, Trevor read this moments ago. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable because you represent the Savior now. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Sometimes you can't, and that's something that they have to deal with. But stop talking about how you don't live in peace with them. Live in peace. Live in peace. If your enemy's hungry, give them something to eat. It's simple, isn't it? This is a simple understanding. Super hard to do. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If you were dying of thirst or hunger and you went and asked somebody and it was like, oh my gosh, I would, of all people, I'd rather die than ask you for anything. Have you been there? So if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you because it tries, but conquer evil by doing good. Now wrap up our big uh, next step this week. Which do you need to do? Ask someone for forgiveness or take a step toward forgiving somebody. I so desperately want to help you with this. If you need to know more about how to move forward with forgiving, call the church, email me, whatever, stop by. Let's talk about this so that you can learn your next step toward either uh, forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness yourself. Don't let the conversation end here just because it's uncomfortable. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we have just heard uh, your story over the past month, this narrative of Joseph, it's wrapping up in a way that is just unbelievable. How could such a horrible thing happen to somebody and yet this person turn and just say, well, God is good to me. God create, God's the one that actually uh, moved me in this direction. So I'm not mad or I'm not uh, gonna hold it against you. I don't know. I don't know how he did it, but I know who did it through him and that's you. And so God, today, as we think about those that we need to forgive or those that... Um, need to forgive us. Guide us into our next steps so that we can live honorably through you and for you in faith, which is the only way to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're welcome. On your way out, I want to give you something that, uh, so today was all about this. This that I hold in my hand, I wanna give you a little tool about this right here, making disciples. This right here is the Living Lent Daily Guide. 
Um, there's guides that actually help you. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And so we have a, a time that you can come in here and you can pray from seven to seven all day. The church will be open. You just come in and then you pray. There'll be guided instructions and all that stuff on your own to do. But this is actually something that can go along with your, your Lent reading, um, time of fasting if you choose, and learning. So there's a Bible plan in here. These are available at the Next Step table. You'll know it because there's a big banner that says Next Steps, and it's blue. And so go over there and grab one of these if you choose, one per family, so that way you guys can work on that together. So make sure you take advantage of that. Now, will you stand, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today? I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Now say with me, go and be the church.